Not much more I need to say. This has, been, this has been especially put together to give you an idea of what's happened at this conference. So this will do a much better job than me talking. Uh, I'll go to the video just now. Our hands has provided Raise your faithfulness, Father, to me The Coleraine campus of the University of Ulster was the venue for the Presbyterian Church's Get a Life Special Assembly Conference. It was held in August 2004. Over 900 delegates packed the main auditorium each day for a varied programme. This included our two keynote speakers. So we hope that our worship is... Don Carson is a prolific author and renowned international speaker. He's research professor of New Testament at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Illinois. What comes into our minds... Morton Allen is minister of a thriving congregation in the suburbs of Glasgow. He has practical experience of successful outreach to a largely unchurched community. The conference was also exposed to other viewpoints, which are definitely not traditional within the Presbyterian Church. I practiced devotional meditation uh, to an idea of God which was feminine. Um, under the tuition of a, of a Hindu monk. But as I came here this morning and, and walked around the, the bookstall and kind of had a sense of, you know, find good people in the room, I also felt um, sort of out of place. We have brought folk to, to speak to us, albeit in an informal uh, setting, who, who, who are saying some things that are probably uncomfortable to some of the folk who are here, but nonetheless things that we, we need to listen to. It was the General Assembly in the year 2000 which resolved that this conference be held. The aim was to better equip the church to minister in the changing society of the 21st century. Please welcome Malachi O'Doherty. By inviting Malachi and others from different backgrounds, the expectation was that we might better understand the challenges and contexts within which we are called to minister. I am a, a person of religious inclinations um, with, I think, a strong faith, but a faith which isn't informed by any narrative that I would say is historical or scriptural. Uh, my personal favorite piece of scripture, if you want to know, is probably the Kathal Upanishad, you know, which you can read later. Um, I don't think we so have that one on the books. <laughs> well, I, I, I suspect you haven't. It's but, right next uh, to the Bhagavad Gita over there. <laughs> but um, We brought in Malachi O'Doherty and some other folk uh, who are not connected to the church to actually tell us what they see. And that is, that's coming from a very confident Presbyterianism because it's only confident church that will ask people in from outside to tell them what the church is, uh, how it's perceived in the community. I think it is perceived as a community as uh, both a religious and a political community or a religious community that has a political base. In what sense? And to whom the political base of Northern Ireland as a state is crucially important. So we find out how some others perceive us, and there was an opportunity to disagree and ask questions. Um, I, I detect from you a criticism which would, you know, you're, you're perfectly entitled to your views, of course, and it's lovely to see you here today. 
but is, is there not validity in us being allowed to be a community for people who think the way we do? As a Presbyterian, as a unionist, and as an audience man, I want to agree with Eilish. <laughs> <laughs> you did alienate a lot of us with your pejorative language about the northern state and in the six counties, but it, we're all entitled to our opinions. Uh, my, my question will be takes us down another route, uh, if, we weren't, if we're not rerouted, and that would be... Uh, <laughs> There seems to be a great emphasis on rights at the moment and a rights culture. Now I think part of that, uh, there can be an anti-Christian or anti-gospel agenda built into that. It's unfortunate but inevitable that both rights and equality and social justice become politicised in our, in our current context. Inevitably, disagreements and a good-natured debate. But Malachi O'Doherty observed something with which we couldn't disagree. We are living in a universal spiritual supermarket in which we now have the resources of all human spiritual traditions available to us. It was reinforced by our speakers that the universal spiritual supermarket is a reality. We can no longer take it for granted that those we meet in everyday life are even familiar with the basics of the gospel message. To many people on the street, they, they don't know the Bible has two testaments. They, 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 the, the word gospel doesn't mean anything in particular. Um, it's, it's, it's religious God talk, talking about justification by grace through faith. You just use three words that they don't understand. They certainly don't understand justification. They may have some notion of grace, but grace may, in their view, be deserved. And faith probably is the modern notion, which uh, is sort of a religious preference, which isn't the way that Bible ever uses faith. And, and, and so in every case, you've got to start explaining terms and background and so on in order to be clear. Get a Life is for all of our members, not just ministers and elders. It's an ongoing process designed to encourage congregations to explore three main themes, meaningful worship, authentic fellowship and effective witness. We felt that the themes of meaningful worship and authentic fellowship and effective witness were central and core to the life and the outreach of the church and indeed any church in any age. And we felt that we should look at these fundamental things in the light of this changed and changing society of ours. A time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Well, in the New Testament, worship in the first place is the pouring out of our whole being before God all the time. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. So we really mustn't think of worship as that which you do on Sunday morning at 11 o'clock or the first part of the service where you sing and the rest of it isn't worship. There is a profound sense in which worship, meaningful worship, is loving God with heart and soul and mind and strength all the time. Uh, worship, the New Testament makes clear, as all of our lives. Uh, but what we're looking at specifically here is corporate worship. What happens when the people of God get together? Uh, and that inevitably involves uh, praise, inevitably involves listening uh, for God's word as it is as preached to us. It inevitably involves praying, prayers of adoration, prayers of confession, prayers of intercession. It involves all of that. 
Uh, we're thinking a lot of the, the, the corporate dimension of worship. Worship takes place with the reality of the august presence of God in his separateness coming very near to us. The goals of the conference are that we should, as a Presbyterian church, focus again on what does it mean to worship God in a meaningful way. And that means that Sunday when we meet together as God's people there in our churches, we have to have things going on in the church, not only good preaching, good quality of music, but also a real spread so that all sorts of uh, different age groups and different uh, thought patterns of people and lifestyles can find something in the service that they can connect with God in. Receive the body of our Lord Jesus Christ which he gave for you and his blood which he shed for you. Eat and drink, remembering that Christ died for you. Sometimes we use the word fellowship to mean something like Christian friendship. So, if you have a Catholic neighbor over this fence, or a secularist neighbor, or a generally pagan neighbor on this fence, and leaning over the fence you share a pint of Guinness, that's friendship. Then you have a decent Presbyterian neighbor over this fence, and you have a cup of tea, that's fellowship. <laughs> Whereas fellowship in the New Testament is more comprehensive, it's a joint partnership, a joint commitment to a particular enterprise where you pour everything in and you work with others. The conference itself was a good opportunity for an expression of authentic fellowship, where we had this joint commitment and we shared common goals. Eating together, praying together, learning together, worshipping together in a variety of ways, including communion. And, of course, plenty of opportunities to laugh together. It does not occur in Northern Ireland where there's more confrontation in theological debate than that. And then if we want to improve our fellowship, then we must improve our friendship in a sort of Christianized way. We must meet together and have more dinner parties or invite others in and all have a good time and make sure we have a grace at the end so it's done in Jesus name and, and, and then it's fellowship. 
And in the New Testament, this fellowship is, is fellowship first with the apostles and all that they taught. And because what they taught was the very gospel itself, the good news of who Christ is, how God has disclosed himself in Christ, our fellowship with the apostles becomes fellowship with God himself in a whole enterprise of committed mutual sharing and, and endeavor to promote the gospel, to bring about all the transformations of the gospel, to, to love people for Christ's sake, to bear witness to what the cross is about and so on. All of that is fellowship. So where does fellowship end and friendship begin? That's enough to fry anyone's brain. But in true Presbyterian tradition, it's coffee time and there's a rush on to beat the queue. coffee to help the teaching sink in. Fellowship with the apostles? Looks like talking about the Bible and seeing how to act on it. There's the moderator. He's bound to know. For now, it was good just to make the most of our time with each other. Every tongue in heaven and earth shall declare your glory. Every knee shall bow at your throne. In worship exalted O God and your kingdom shall not pass away O ancient of days I think effective witness is being um, Christ's uh, disciples in the community or the location in which we're set as a church or indeed where we're placed in our working relationships uh, throughout the week more and more in our parish and in others, um, churches are seeing that if we don't get involved with people in community and meet their needs, then we perhaps don't have the right to expect them to listen to us. Someone put it beautifully in the assembly that the danger of the Presbyterian church is that Jesus is locked inside the church. He also said people aren't going to kick down the doors of the Presbyterian church to get in, but Jesus is going to kick down the doors so we can get out. And the most important thing in the church is to get out into the community with the love of Christ in your heart. We, uh, in our church setup, have uh, decided that one simple strategy of reaching people is perhaps a, a couple of folks to take a street and to knock doors and say, uh, we're from the church, we're interested in you, and we're just uh, calling to let you know that uh, next week in the church we're going to be praying for this street. Is there anything you'd like us to uh, take on board to pray for you. Uh, we tried this for a couple of years and been surprised at the amount of goodwill it's created. People are always happy if you're going to pray for them, whatever faith or unbelief they have. Churches should do something to enhance the life of their community because their communities are important as well. And in getting alongside people, you create a bridge in which they begin to wonder, well, you know, why are you doing this? Why are you so nice? It's great being with you. Um, I might come and look at your church sometime. Getting people to come and look at our church sometime was a main topic for discussion in our afternoon seminars. The smaller groups provided a good opportunity for delegates to talk frankly and openly on a whole range of issues. We were among friends and could tell it like it is. My perspective on really the whole conference um, has been that while it is tremendous that the Presbyterian Church is holding this conference, uh, that it's very, very important that 
we listen to what the young people are saying. I think unfortunately the main word they would use to describe the Presbyterian Church would be boring. How do we um, get those boys and girls to continue on in, in the connection with the church? It's how to, how to find something on a Sunday morning that they want to be instead of being in their beds or, or to be watching Sunday morning TV and I'm afraid that's the competition. So that's the challenge to the churches is how are, how are, you, how are you going to rival this and win? And there are many older people who could bring, you know, a prayer or a prayer of intercession, whatever, and use, use maybe their experience and the experience that they've had under the Holy Spirit. Or how you would have worshipped if you don't understand the scriptures? Delegates were encouraged to suggest ways which might make church life more meaningful or effective. And it was good to listen to other Presbyterians who brought a perspective from different cultures and traditions. I would have in Lucan substantially more people from a Roman Catholic background than, than a Protestant or, or Presbyterian background. Uh, I began ministering in, in the Roman Catholic community really by teaching the scriptures in, in the St. Joseph's College on a Sunday evening. I wanted to find a, a venue where I could communicate the Christian faith, where people would not see me as someone who's trying to make Catholics into Presbyterians. My responsibility is to communicate the gospel of Christ and to bring people under the Lordship of Jesus. So I taught the scriptures. And over the years, uh, people have chosen to make this Presbyterian church their spiritual home. Inevitably, set ways of doing things can become entrenched traditions. In the past, hurt has been caused by tensions over methods and forms of worship. I don't want to underestimate the pain that is involved in this because for some people their whole spirituality is tied up with particular methods of doing things. But it's, it's important for us all to question that in the interests of the bigger picture. And I personally feel that we can no longer waste time and energy arguing over such trivialities as should we have guitars or should we have drums. To me those are no longer issues. Uh, what needs to be looked at is the content of our worship and the bigger picture of where that fits in uh, to the vision of what God has called the church to be. It wasn't all sunshine, sorting out the problems of the Presbyterian church in an afternoon. But after the serious discussions, it was time to lighten up. Late Night Extra brought a mix of humour and thought-provoking chat. He's married to Lydia. He has four children. And we want to welcome Stephen Baxter up to the stage. I started my career at Ards Football Club and had two, two years there. And then quickly moved on to Linfield. Um, <laughs> and then moved on to uh, distillery for a year and very quickly then to Crusaders and I had four years there moving on to Glenavon with Roy Walker <laughs> Oh, the Glenavon fans are both in <laughs> so a 17 year career now I know running alongside that life in football was, was your Christian life as well. What could you say tonight uh, that might give us uh, some sort of insight as to how you feel 
it's possible to maintain that Christian witness in a, a, a hostile or in an apathetic environment? The first thing I would say is be yourself. Um, because it, it takes, uh, th this is a, an evolving thing and, and you know, you, you've got to gain acceptance. Whenever you go into a, a club, the first thing all the rest of the players will, will, will want to know, can they play? And, and you've got to prove yourself within the, the club in the five-a-side. And I think it's all about relationships. It's all about how you conduct yourself and how you, you start to build relationships with people. And take particular precedence uh, from my own personal peculiar and Presbyterian position are, of course, the two Ps at the forefront of many a Presbyterian minister's mind, namely uh, Port Stewart and Port Rush. <laughs> with, with perhaps a subclause to the latter, uh, Port Ballantrae. <laughs> Though the ice cream shop isn't as good there. Day two. As thoughts for Sunday's sermon began to wander round my mind, I was struck, as were many, by this morning's heated discussion on a matter of deep personal and pressing need. Which queue was I to get into at breakfast time? <laughs> I was faced with a choice. Would I be the one who simply followed the crowd, hoping that the general rabble in front of me would eventually lead me to the coffee and the tea and the orange juice? Would I go for the more popular way, the easy way, the free way? <laughs> or would I take the more costly option? <laughs> Willing to shell out two whole pounds for eggs, bacon, tomatoes, beans, hash browns, potato bread, etc. <laughs> or attempting in vain to accommodate both options both cooked and continental on the one trek. It seemed that all too soon it was time to leave this place that had been our home for the past few days. But what did our delegates think? Excellent has been envisioning. It's been encouraging, um, and the, the seminars have also allowed us to boil it down to brass tacks as well. Uh, worship has been super, and it's been good to have our cages rattled at the same time. Yeah, it's been very good. I think anything people I've heard disagree with would be form, not essence. And have we any right to disagree with form? That's individual choice. But the essence has been there throughout. It's been wonderful. I particularly enjoyed William Crawley's morning sessions. Uh, it was different from what was you know, listening to sermons and stuff like that. Um, just interesting to hear other people's points of view from outside the Presbyterian Church. Um, certainly gives you more insight to what other people are thinking about you and your Presbyterianism. Well, I think certainly we've been made very aware of the wider cultural context in which we minister. And I think for me personally, it has. Um, wakened me up to the greater needs that are out there and the, the growing secularisation and the, 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 just where people are at. Um, well I'm a full-time youth worker so it really helped me in my role in church and I think it's going to help me just get across to the young people that bit more. I think that everybody will go out of here with something that you know that they want even if it's only just something small that they want to try out or that they want to do differently or yeah, I think definitely everyone will take something away from here with them. Yeah. 
we were just saying there actually that uh, there's so much there that everyone takes something different away but I think everyone's taking something away which is uh, good so enjoyed it as well. I think the, the main thing would be if we were to go back to our churches and it would cause us to, to keep thinking about the issues. So we don't just finish with the conference but it's maybe the start of things with the congregations. Uh, yeah, well I think it has to be an ongoing thing. You know, we're only touching the surface really in, the, in these days and, uh, and I trust that our delegation will go back and we'll think through some of these things and maybe take a decision to the members and see if there are things that we can apply in our own situation. Certainly it has to be ongoing our time, we need to take what we're learning now and not delay any longer because there has been too much of a delay. We need to get going with this and churches need to sit bolt up right now and say, right, here's what we're going to do. Now we're not going to upset the old, we're not going to do this because that will upset the older generation, but this is what we need to do. This is our vision. And we really need to work on that and work on it now without delaying any longer because I would hate to see more young people missing out as much as they have. We are dearly hoping and praying that each congregation will work out for itself and for themselves what it is for them in their context, their culture, to engage in, in meaningful worship, in authentic fellowship and effective witness. Brave man, Christoph. <laughs> a fool. <laughs> At the, the end of the, the video there, we heard the, the conference organizer speak a little bit about the need to take from the conference the, the sort of the higher principles and then work them into your own congregation and your own setting. And uh, what Christoph uh, wants me to do this evening is just to try and draw from him a little bit about his thoughts about how some of those principles that were discussed at the conference might be applied here in, in our own particular setting in Kirkpatrick. Christoph, one of the words that kept coming up on the, 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 the video there was the idea of your community and how things might be worked out in your community. What do you see in, uh, as the community in Kirkpatrick? Where is it we're, we're ministering to? Okay. Well, we are obviously in, here in Valley Hackamore, uh, part of, of Belfast, uh, the largest urban community in Northern Ireland. So that, that is a very specific community. Each church has to, to try and work out what its community is. I think over the last year I've begun to get together a picture of, of what our community is here. I'm going to speak quite generally about that, Philip, because there are people here who would know the community specifically in Valley Hackmore much better than I would, uh, being here much longer. What strikes me as important for the church to grasp is that one or two major shifts have occurred in society in the last, say, 30 years. And unless the church both recognizes these and responds to them, we're snookered. We're, we're gone. Uh, the doors will close and, and we will become the next pub or library or whatever churches become. What, what do you mean by the particular shifts? In the, the, what sort of things? The shifts that I am thinking of, um, you may have heard of talk that society has moved from a um, position of modernity to, to postmodernism, and 
let me take a step back from those, those terms and put it to you like this. It used to be that in society there were particular institutions and bodies that drew the respect and support of everyone without question. I'm thinking, for example, uh, think of the, the monarchy in Britain. It used to be that you'd have been very careful to say a bad word about the, the royal family or, or anything to do with the establishment in that sense. But if you think nowadays, uh, people, are, people think it's entirely appropriate and spend, the media spend much time taking pot shots. There are other, there are other establishment uh, identity, you know, there are other parts of our society where, where the establishment is under attack. And the one that's important to us is the church. It used to be that people supported the church without thinking, automatically. People were, and you know the phrase, they were churchgoers. I believe that we're well through the transition of being a church-going community to a community where that is no longer the case. I think in probably in 20 years' time, there'll be no such thing as a churchgoer. I don't mean that nobody will go to church. I just mean that there won't be people who just go to church because it's the done thing. You'll, you will come to a point in time where everybody who's in church is there because they've made a very valid decision that the Christian faith and that the church is important to them and something that they want to pursue. So I think that's a massive change. The church is used to being a place, Philip, where people just showed up. Yeah. People living in Ballyhackamore would have just showed up at Kirkpatrick. They're not going to do that in the future. Okay, well, how, how does that change that moment we're going through at the moment? How does that affect the way the church here needs to relate to the community around it? That, that is, is a huge question that I don't think... You know, we've had very exciting times here in the last year at Kirkpatrick. I don't think we have begun to tackle these yet. Ken Newell, in the, the video there, talked about... He gave some lovely images. He, he talked about getting out of the church... He talked about the Presbyterian Church being a place that has Jesus locked in, and he was talking about the time when Jesus was going to kick the doors down to get out. That's, that's what we need to do. We need to get out of, of this building. This building itself is a wonderful thing, but, but if you think of what proportion of our time and energy we spend outside of our railings, it's minimal. We need to find ways... To, to go outside into our community. They, they're not going to automatically come here anymore. Okay, that, that sounds all very good on a theoretical level. Do you have any particular ideas about how that might be taken forward? I, I have ideas that will take us, probably take us time, and, and I want to draw other people into this. You've heard me talking here about setting up working groups. There are two particular purposes of the church that will tackle this if we can grasp them, evangelism and, and service. Uh, let me give you some of the ideas I have. Um, actually, Martin Allen talked about one of them, going, going up and down the Eastley Crescent, knocking on the doors and telling the people there that we at the church are praying for them, and we'd like to know what we would like to pray for their household. Uh, another one of my... I, I think I said this when I was preaching a few weeks ago. We need to find ways of making Ballyhackmore a better place because we're here. An idea that I had in the summer was hanging baskets. I said, you know, why are we not the people who are going to Belfast City Council and saying to them, 
Valley Hackamore here is a, is a community that could do with just a few very visible signs of, of togetherness and, and of, of loving each other. Why are we not the people who are going along to Belfast City? We've already done it actually with our Christmas tree. There hasn't, last year we had a Christmas tree for the first time in years. That's the first Christmas tree that's been up in Valley Hackamore apparently for a long time. And a lot of people in the community love that. I'm thinking, there's a start. Let's, let's look for the next thing and the next thing. There are all sorts of things once we start down this road that we will... Um, by the way, a lot of these things are things that we couldn't have dreamt of doing a year ago because we didn't have the people. But that's changing. We, we are beginning to have the people. Okay. We heard in the video that there were sort of three major elements of the conference. There was worship, there was fellowship, and there was witness. Would you consider those your main Okay. Well, if you have been around in September and, and October in our morning services, you'll know where we stand on all of this. It's, it's been really interesting for me, the timing of this conference, because in September of last year, I decided that I would preach in September of 2004 on the purposes of the church. And I chose five of those that I wanted to draw your attention to. So I found it astonishing then when this this Get a Life conference was brought together focusing on three of those purposes of the church. I would want to, on the one hand, I'd want to endorse the three that they, they selected, um, worship, fellowship, and evangelism. You might remember something I said. There are three directions in which the purposes of the church work, and they have chosen one purpose in each of those directions. Worship, we direct towards God, fellowship to others inside of the church, and evangelism outside. If you remember what I suggested was that, that maybe there are a couple of things we need to think about in our relationships together. Fellowship, yes, but also discipleship. And the reason I, I would want to bring that extra dynamic into play and talk a bit about discipleship, fellowship is a real buzzword around churches these days. And the impression that I get is that churches are, what churches sometimes mean when they talk about fellowship is just getting on together and having a great time. And I think that's a massively important purpose of the church. I do. But I don't think it's all that God has called us to as we relate to each other. I think God has called each one of us individually to become disciples of Jesus Christ people who are growing to be like Jesus. And I would long to see us helping each other on that road. That's why our, our home groups here are not called fellowship groups. They're called discipleship groups. We have fellowship in those groups, but our purpose is to be discipled, to become like Jesus Christ. And, and similarly, I have a bit of a concern. Sometimes when you talk about evangelism as our responsibility to the outside community, it sounds quite verbal, for a lot of people, evangelism still means preaching and um, putting on evangelistic events. If you, if you look at the Gospels and look at how Jesus operated, he had a twofold mission. He, he healed and, and, and supplied people's needs, and he preached. And, and the New Testament is full of injunctions to us that we are to, to show by our good deeds the reality of God's presence. So I would say let's do both. 
let's do evangelism and let's do service. Both of those are going to be massively important to us. So I, I don't want to fall out with the guys who organized Get a Life. They maybe only had three days and I would have needed five to cover the, the five things. But I, I would suggest to you that they're, those purposes they have suggested are important, but with those couple of provisos. Okay, so as a church here, we've got five things we're going to look at and to target. What would you see being the strengths of the congregation here as we seek to put those into play? Uh, I've actually had a chance to, to mention what I see as our strengths in a, in a recent sermon as well. And you might remember this. One Sunday recently, I was, I was asking us to think, what are our opportunities here at Kirkpatrick? And I mentioned a few things. I talked about our existence. And for anyone who's quite new around Kirkpatrick, you'll wonder what I mean by that. A year and a half ago, the very future of this church was under threat. So I have suggested to our members here that our existence is a God-given opportunity. Let's not waste that. God has allowed us to continue to exist here for a reason. Let's discover what that is and pursue it. So I would say that's a first strength. Another one is our location. I, sometimes when I speak to ministers from other churches, even guys who are in much bigger and, and more successful in some terms churches, they always go green with envy when they realize that I'm from Kirkpatrick Memorial, that I'm the minister of a church that is in an urban community that faces onto a road on which thousands of cars pass every day, a place where about 2,000 pupils go to schools within a couple of hundred yards of our front doors. If we can't reach people for Jesus here, we can't reach people. This, this is the perfect location from which to do gospel ministry. That's why that's one of the reasons why I felt God called me here, because of our location. So I think that's a massive strength. Um, a third thing, and this is a personal thing to the congregation, as I've, I've found them now a year down the line, there is a, a massive willingness here to adapt, to ask all the questions that need to be asked, and to begin to take the steps that are necessary. Unfortunately, that's not true across the board. A lot of churches are just they're just stifled. They're, they're shackled. I don't know what kind of variety of things hold them back. But my experience so far is that that's not the case here. And that's one of our massive strengths. We have a real willingness among our, our leadership and our congregation here to move forward, to, to be the congregation that God would long for us to be. And that's, that's just a massive strength. Just one last question, really, I think two bits. You've talked about the, 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 the purposes, how we might go forward, and the, the strength the congregation has in doing that. But you must have some concerns about some of the, the things that worry you about that. Would you talk about just your concerns, maybe over the short term, say in the next 12 months, and then looking into the <coughs> medium term? I could well be massively naive, Philip, but. A lot of the things that other Christians and, and even other ministers would talk about as concerns don't worry me particularly. The secularization of society, for example, doesn't worry me. Um, you know, the fact that people have given up on being churchgoers doesn't worry me. 
uh, the fact that why does it not worry me? I believe that why does that not worry me? We need to be drawing people the reality of our life together here must be so powerful and so entirely convincing that even if one or two people ever came to visit with us, they would stay. That's, that's my, my vision for our congregation. The fact that people, by and large, in Belfast aren't beating down the doors to get into churches, I think that's a tragedy. That's a tragedy that the church in the past is going to have to come to terms with and be answerable about. But it's not something that I think we need to beat ourselves up about today. Instead, we need to respond to the situation as we find it. The situation as we find it is this. People generally aren't on autopilot and heading for church on Sunday morning. But I find that they're massively open to spiritual things. They have massive desires and needs in their heart. And I think, even in my short lifetime, I think people are more open to the true gospel and to true spiritual things than they were when I was younger. I think there's a new Malachi O'Doherty. Um, he talked about a, a spiritual supermarket. That's what we live in. If, if I go into the cafe next door tomorrow and take a seat and get talking to some of the folks in there, well, actually, I'll tell you of an experience. I was knocking on doors in Clarawood Estate recently, and a woman told me to go away because she was into Egyptian religion. She didn't need to know anything about Presbyterianism. I suppose I'm telling you that to illustrate the world is now an open marketplace in terms of spirituality. But the interesting thing is that people are still searching. So as a minister of the gospel, I find that not, not a challenge or a threat, but just a massive opportunity and something that you know, it makes me just lick my lips and want to get on with it, that, that kind of culture that we now live in. Okay, some people are disheartened that the numbers in churches are down. I believe that the numbers in churches and the numbers in this church can and will rise if, if we, can, we can have a, a living and vibrant demonstration of God among us and, and can take that outside of these doors. Um, you asked me, Philip, about 12 months and 10 years. We, since I've come here, we haven't done anything hardly to reach outside of our walls. God's blessed us and brought many people to us, and that's been lovely. But we haven't even begun to fulfill our mission, which is to get outside. So to me, that, that's a, that's a short-term um, challenge that we as a congregation have ahead of us. I would hope that by September, say, of next year, we'll have tangible right. ideas of how we're going to reach out into the community around us. Well, thank you for, for putting me through those, Philip. Um, take those, folks, that's the last time you'll have to listen to me on any of this stuff. You'll be glad to know, because you're going to, you're going to help us as a congregation to think of our way forward over the next three Sunday evenings. You'll not be asked to sit up here um, and be interviewed in front of a crowd. You'll do it in much smaller groups of about eight people. Um, 
And again, as I say, that's only for those who, who would like to do that sort of thing. If you're here this evening and that's really not your cup of tea, come next week for a cup of tea and feel free to drift on home. We're going to sing